This episode of the Major Issues Podcast is brought to you by Comic Book Click at tpublic.com. Visit tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click to get exclusive one-of-a-kind merchandise including shirts, stickers, and phone cases all designed by us. Get your hands on the latest and greatest in comic book merchandise by going to tpublic.com slash user slash comic book click. And remember, you, yes you, are worthy. Comic Book Land. My name is George Serrano, aka The Don, and if you're listening to this, you could only be here for one reason, and it's a brand new episode of the Major Issues Podcast, brought to you by ComicBookClick.com, and as always, I'm never alone. Sir, please introduce yourself. I am my past self's bad decisions, Gregory Thomas, aka GT Rebirth. GT Rebirth is here embodying his past self's bad experiences. Bad decisions. I, I guess that's a good... Oh, bad decisions. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, we all make mistakes, GT. I'm, yes. I'm glad that you made the decision, the good decision to be on this episode of the podcast. Rumor has it we don't do enough Marvel. Is did that you, the did, rumor? Did you have, that's the rumor. The rumor is that we like a lot of DC, and I think we. I know I do. I, I'm trying to. I'm trying to branch out on occasion, <laughs> get a little bit more uh, uh, Marvel, and we'll be tackling a Marvel story today that so, was so impactful that it was adapted for its own feature film. But before we get there, um, last. Uh, two weeks ago, we did a big news episode with Dan the Comic Man. Last week, we did uh, Twilight of the Superheroes with um, Yogi, and now we got you on. So I was able to ask Yogi some of the stuff from the news episode, and I wanted to get your take. Um, the same way I asked Yogi about the Snyder Cut, because I feel like he is particularly close to it, I feel like me and you are the only two still on the Arrowverse train. <laughs> it it uh, might and, appear uh, that way, even though I've like, I, I am on the train but i have chosen to stay out of certain cars <laughs> right you have your headphones in your head's down you know? yeah you're you're on but you're, you know not all the ride is fun no um and so i have to get your feelings and your thoughts especially once you found out the initial announcement that ruby rose was stepping away from batwoman how do, how do you feel about all that i was just like oh that's that's surprising um we just got here. Right. Yeah. Season one stuff was kind of weird. Like, I, I, up until this point, and maybe it was just because of the success of the Arrowverse, maybe, right? The idea that, so, what, at that point, four or five shows had all done well and never had to replace anyone. Right. And, and it's, it's one of those interesting things where you can attempt to monitor a the the success or the outreach of a show via the social media but really when the numbers tell you batman's kind of on batwoman's on the top like three shows on the cw yeah like the, the network has no reason to to push against that it's gonna be here for a while she recently came out with something and it was like based she basically said like if you know you know well, I don't know what the hell that's supposed to mean. I don't but, understand people who ever put out cryptic crap <laughs> like that. 
but you know they say that that it was a mutual thing she wasn't really digging the hours and we, we had heard that she had gotten injured on set ma- a massive back injury that she probably wasn't happy too happy with um not to mention all the criticism that she had gotten on social media dealing with the entirety of um you know batwoman her being casted her being not gay enough too gay etc so it, it was seemingly unhappy but we've seen people weather these storms candace Patton is still dealing with you know, negative uh, right. feedback for for the Arrowverse. Um, so I was very surprised. I thought Ruby was ready to stand and deliver. I guess is the is the, is the uh, phrase That's, uh, that would be the phrase. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's it's really bizarre considering, like, especially as an actor, you've got a chance to kind of stand in some tall cotton here. Yeah, yeah. Um, not only as a a uh, a stalwart version of a character, right? Like you know, say what you want about it. Like Batwoman's been around for a bit, yeah. And and, and, and to be the first portrayal is always big. Yeah, to be the one to introduce the one to introduce the character to the masses, and and to be the one that can reshape a character for the masses very easily. Yes, yes. I've because that as we well. as we've all seen, it's. The, the television and the movie industry can completely over like completely um remake a character's integrity yeah mimic themselves you know so like yeah, uh, iron man was a c-level character until 10 years ago that's true and speak speaking of which it's entirely hard like i think i think one of the things that they wanted ruby rose to do uh, with her gravitas and her already immense following because she was uh you know she was in film before she was a model was she was gonna she was gonna be the high high enough profile for us not to really miss Stephen amell leaving right because Stephen amell um or stefan right the uh mr amell (laughs) um is is you know he his stock has rose because of the show but no one really knew who he was when he got cast same thing with melissa benoit same thing with grant gustin she was the most high profile actor to take on a lead role in the arrowverse since the beginning and i think that was on purpose i think that was to to tell people oh the arrowverse is going to be just fine and so is her leaving a a, a symptom that it won't be (laughs) should we be just excited just as excited for the new kate kane come 2021 i think we should And, and i think that um Whoever comes into this has the has the chance to just bring that young and hungry attitude to something that they need to, you know, stick to. Like, yeah, the th- at the end of the day, because of that name, it's like Ruby Rose will probably be fine. Yeah. You give this role to someone who needs to eat, <laughs> you know, right. and be, yeah, yeah, you'll get it, you'll get some mileage and some heart out of it. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, you're right, and I think that that has to do a lot with it because Ruby Rose did know that if she left this, it wasn't she wasn't going to be blacklisted. No, she'll be in another Fast and Furious movie or something like that. They'll figure something out for her. Right. Um, it's very interesting that you have brought up, you know, the idea that somebody would, uh, you know, become a character, act as a character, especially these superhero characters, these modern myths, um, and they get to kind of color our the 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 media the public's opinion of these characters um today we're talking about iron man extremis but i think what's most important is talk about kind of the evolution a bit of iron man um in front of our eyes especially with the mcu books like this and etc 
I, I want to ask you before we, before we go further. I, I should I'd be remiss if I don't just note that like not only is she playing Batwoman, but she's getting a a, a, a chance to represent like um you know that uh that whole LGBT community that's getting like the lead. Yes. Yeah. You know you're like you're you're batting for a lot of teams here. Right, and you're kind of protected. You're in Gotham, which is like the most well-known comic book city ever. Like, yeah. it's not like you—you you, got to introduce people to a brand new concept. They understand who Batman is. They understand what Gotham is. All you have to do is sell them on your uh, version of the Bat Family member. Right. Um, so, like, you're you're representing this well-known thing that's yeah, that's very well protected because it's the Bat Family, and you're representing like the uh, the lesbian community by playing this lesbian character as the lead role in a, a long what's probably going to be a long running tv show like i i can't imagine how many more uh how many more notches in that boat you'd want but right and like we would always talk about representation is incredibly important people say constantly oh why did they make that character gay they should have just created a character and then they are gay and so you get somebody like Kate Kane and then instantly oh what what the gay characters in DC and then everyone starts going crazy it's like wait a minute you said to create characters to represent people and not change your favorites and when we do that that's still a problem so what the hell is the issue here my favorite being the ones that had no clue she was always gay and I'm just like dude that's just yeah and one day we're going to talk about that whole Maggie Sawyer situation Oy. and how that, you know, lambasted that whole character. Oy. Um, yeah, I'm telling you, certain, certain uh, editorial decisions can change a character forever. But I wanted to know what your background was on Iron Man as a character because, uh, I, and I'll go first, I didn't really know much about the man. I think the most I knew about Iron Man was the things that he said in Marvel vs. Capcom. <laughs> which is, <laughs> so I knew he had repul- repulsor blasts and I knew he had a unibeam. Um, and I, so I knew, I knew the suit. I knew a war machine right. for some reason. Um, wasn't too sure about him being on the Avengers. Like I wasn't, you know, like I didn't, I didn't know too much about him there. I didn't know anything about his origin and very little about Tony Stark. I understood that there was a character, uh, a comic, uh, sorry, a cartoon, an animated cartoon about Iron Man uh, that would have been right up my alley. But for some reason, I was never introduced to it, so I, I never saw it. What's your background with the character? Uh, I was uh introduced to the animated cartoon, so that's basically all I know. Okay. I don't know much of it. Right. Um, as we will Did get, you like him. Uh, I remember enjoying him pretty well. Like it was, I I would arguably say that um, I knew him because I had a video game called Captain America and Avengers. Ah, uh, is that the one with the jewels? I I see. I don't remember white, that much white about vision? it. I don't remember much of it, <laughs> it. It did have the white vision. I don't remember that much about it because I sucked at it. Okay, right, yeah. So I can't tell you where the game went because I just, I didn't win. Um, right. But, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I I knew Iron Man from that. So like when I found out that Iron Man had a cartoon, it was like, oh, okay, I know who this is. Right. And the only thing I kind of remember from it is what leads to my just overwhelming resentment and disappointment with the with the movie uh-huh. which is there's iron man and there's the mandarin right yes i don't remember anything else i can't wait to just reset through it, it with complete, to, uh, to reset through it with complete disappointment on disney plus 
Um, what about Civil War? That was probably one of the big, more, uh, more recent, bigger Iron Man uh, centered stories. You know, him and Captain America, and it kind of. I think that that book for me colored a lot of what, what makes up Tony Stark, his ideas, his um, mentality moving forward, and stuff like that. It may not be the quintessential Iron Man book, but I think it does give a lot into the inside of his mind. Uh, it's certainly not a great way to like paint him as a likable character i'll say that right but it shows you the compromising nature of military in general right the idea they are yes. all militaries are kind of built for defense but just as much as they're built for defense they can be used offensively and dangerously and you know take the lives of others uh, etc absolutely um, and, and that stark in that sense is like is is riddled with this idea that if i if we don't do something they're gonna do it for us, right? Yeah, yeah. That's exactly what he says in that story there. Um, I think that, like the majority of people, the biggest best portrayal of Iron Man in uh, modern lore yeah, would have to be Robert Downey Jr. as Tony Stark. Yes. Um, the same way that we were just talking about how important it is to have, you know, a Star Wars like uh, as uh, Mister Amell or. Ruby Rose, who was supposed to be that for the Arrowverse, if they didn't nail that Iron Man film, who knows where the MCU would be? Oh um, man, yeah. I think that the entire franchise leans kind of heavily on Robert Downey Jr. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. Like they they knew that Robert Downey Jr.'s success meant we could always lean back on this, right? And so we get we get uh, this book, Iron Man Extremis. I believe it was written in 2010 and it was written by warren ellis famed writer comic book writer and the art by adi granov i think that's the best <laughs> way to say it and so i got a little bit of the background uh, about this book so the story itself was meant to be a new start for the character uh, which i'm assuming just means the beginning of number ones in marvel which happened every what three months or something yes. like that <laughs> so it's like reinvention for the new era every week but um, more so like i guess you could say it's a it's it's a story where it's just like okay are you not are you not sure where to where to read this like just jump in here yes 100%. we're not restarting it but we're just telling you that you know we, you'll figure everything out yeah you can totally just pick up this book and, and get it especially if you've seen any of the mcu films um there's a lot of things that echo and so it was supposed to redefine him from his origins as an arms dealer to be like the best, the test pilot of the future is what Alice said. Hmm. Uh, the story rarely mentions any of Iron Man's past besides the actual origin and references to the rest of the Marvel universe are limited. Yes. Uh, and, kinda, and this is because Warren Ellis admitted that he had intentionally not read any Iron Man material besides the very earliest issues. That's fair. So how do you feel about that? How do you feel about a writer not doing his homework? Uh, I think I think if you know you're going in with what is essentially a clean slate book, then you can go back and just like stick with the basics. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, the, the, because it's such a just like, uh, even though it's not a one for one origin story, because they keep the origin story the same and they just reflect back at it, 
it it's kind of um what what was the what was the book they did the superman book it's not secret origin but they did another origin story american alien no 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 the one that was more based on smallville birthright huh birthright yes okay I know I get it eventually. <laughs> There's a few, but you you you'll figure it out. Um, right. Birthright felt more like we're gonna play with, we're gonna sort of give you the origin story, and then we're just going to tell like a Superman story uh, in almost a different mirror. Right. But it's mostly all the same. But I agree that like it all depends on what Warren was tasked to do. Yes. If he was definitively tasked, like it's one thing to get on the book and decide what you're going to do. Right. Than it is to be put on a book tasked to do something. So if he was tasked to kind of simplify, you know, the, and I would assume, so this is two years after Iron Man one. So I, I'm assuming that he was tasked to kind of simplify all of the years of Iron Man and kind of give us a, you know, clean origin that people can look back to and reference to and all that stuff. And if that's the case, then why confuse yourself with everything else? Why uh, confuse yourself with the Arno Stark of it all? <laughs> you understand? Know oh yeah, that, that'll definitely confuse the heck out of you. Right, like, right. He has a brother? What? He yeah. was smarter? Uh, and I gotta build up to that in ten years? What's going on here? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, if 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 your job is to just kind of like give somebody a place to jump on especially when as you say like we're only a little bit off of the success of the movie so maybe iron man has a renewed uh interest just right. give them something where they don't need to know much of anything yeah. the, it's, and and double down on the fact it's like we're pushing this iron man book out in a world where everyone's already seen the movie they know the origin yeah we didn't yeah. really stray from the path. We changed the war, and that's negligible. Right. <laughs> but it's the same thing like um, the beginnings of All-Star Superman. Mm. Like, even though we know that damn origin up and down, they still do a page on it. Yes. To remind you, you know, like, hey, this is the this is the one thing that we all agree on, right? Like, this is what happened. <laughs> this beginning happened. Now take that knowledge and come with me for the rest of this story. Right, and it's the same thing. It's the same thing here. Like you know what happened. We'll allude to it in the beginning, and then we'll outright have a whole flashback comp, uh, issue. <laughs> um, you know, just to, just to make sure that you understand what's going on here. Um, what did you think of Extremis? Was this the first time you read it? Um, what made you read it initially? If you if this was the second time, uh, this was not the first time I read it. It was one of those books where you look for a character and it, and and like. If I want to get into Iron Man, I go look up, like, what do people say you need to read? And, like, Extremis was always there. You know what is, what's there that I want to get into? Superior. Ha! Superior Iron Man. Which I heard he get, becomes evil, beca becomes a dick, creates a, a, a beauty app? Yes. Or something? So it's like, uh, yeah, I'm totally down to see, <laughs> like, Sinister Stark. <laughs> Capitalist Stark, I should say. And, and then you get, I think you get a little bit more rescue in it as well. Yeah, yeah. This definitely was one of those. Uh, this definitely was one of those stories that um, that was was known, like known to go back and look at. As far, especially when you consider the evolution of the Iron Man armors. Uh, yeah, I think this 
this does a big thing to you know i the extremis is basically a, a precursor to the bleeding edge armor which is everyone's favorite cool nanobite um-esque armor and even made his way into avengers infinity war so uh this is kind of where all that starts what do you think of the story i liked it a lot i think it's really um it's pretty simple i agree uh you know uh like like warren ellis wasn't exactly going out of his way to to give you some sort of a over complex twisting narrative as much as he was giving you just a character piece on uh tony stark yeah what i enjoyed it then- hmm, go ahead no, I was going to say, and like you said, it's a character piece up until the point that, like, at the end, in the third act, he basically says that the man that he's fighting is is, is like his shadow. It's like, you know, like a, a version of him that he's 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 fighting back against. So, yeah, they literally, they tailored this entire story just for you to understand Tony Stark more, which the character could have used that kind of insight. So I, I totally, you know, I like it. Right. And, and one thing that... One thing I do think that the book and the movie both get right is... Oh, that movie. <laughs> yeah, seriously. <laughs> One thing I think the book and the movie do get right is sort of this like this idea of what do you do when you have, you have done the hard work to, to make yourself what would be a, a changed man and a better man but people are constantly after the man you were. Yeah. You Which know, is fair. It, 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 absolutely. <laughs> it's yeah. You're, you're, you're still being charged to pay up for the sins of who you were, even though you're not that person anymore, but right. you, you, you're, you're still, you know, fighting back those punches. And this one was a bit, a little bit more abrasive with it, like the other ones. I guess because of the adventures, of, the adventures of the Adve- Avengers. Right. <laughs> people had more of an idea of Tony Stark as a, or I guess Iron Man as a hero. Um, I think what kind of hinders the full-on love fest of Tony Stark in this book is something that's tied to Tony Stark's lore, which is the idea that there's a pilot in the Iron Man suit. It's not Tony. It's somebody else. This right. way, this way, anything that happens good on Iron Man is attributed to the pilot. Yes, and everything that happens bad with Stark Tech is attributed to Tony. Whereas in the films, people are quick to forget about all the the Stark Tech stuff because of how much Iron Man is doing in the present. Yes. Um. Do you? What do you think of that? Of them keeping to that? Of of how did you like the dynamic that no one really knew that Iron Man was, um, Tony Stark. You know, as I was reading it, it was interesting for me in the sense that um, we talk about this thing a lot in some books, which is like uh, a term called like the lived-in universe, where it's yes. like things happened before we got there. Right. Yeah. You know, and what's interesting here to me is that I had to, like, as the book reminded me, I had to keep reminding myself that, like, right, there is no I am Iron Man, at least not yet. Right. So people, which still... is weird, because he is still as flashy as he is in the movie. So it's easy to to confuse yourself. Absolutely, think, like, oh, this must have been right after he told everybody that he's Iron Man. Right, it, you know, I was cavalier about it as I can be, but right. like that hasn't happened. People still think it's some other guy. It's a bodyguard. He claims he also he loans him out to the Avengers for whatever projects that need to be done. Yeah, you know, yeah. and 
it also is interesting to me in that sense where all the all, all the secret identities have this one particular purpose. We 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 don these identity secret identities or we, we keep our real identity secret because we are protecting, you know, the people we love for being hurt if they knew who we really were. And it sort of reminds me that in the movies, almost none of these people have other friends. No. And they spoke about they you know what they speak about in the movies, like in, in a joking kind of way? The family. Like, yes. none of these people are ever visited by an uncle, a brother. None of them are ever, you know, like, there's no there's no holiday. I got to go. I'm hanging out with the wife. I'm hanging out with the girlfriend. Right. None of that stuff. If they're not hanging out with each other, they're not really hanging out with anybody. No. And so, like, like they, they, they were able to do away with the secret identities because there was, there was nobody to protect but each other. And we're all super people. <laughs> Yeah, right, right. And you that know, takes away the collateral damage thing, which is why you can go ahead and, and admit that you're Iron Man because what does it matter? Right. Anyone who can who has to defend themselves can. By the time Hawkeye gets a family, he goes and lives off the grid somewhere. Uh, yep, yep. <laughs> the, the, the only other friend Iron Man had, the only other friend Iron Man had died in the cave and all of his other friends are Avengers. And, and you yeah. know, there's Gwyneth Paltrow who, Gwyneth, like, I guess, can defend herself by this point or no i don't know I'm, I'm starting to feel like this whole pepper thing i guess maybe after watching it a couple of times there's like a little bit of like stockholm syndrome there like or maybe just like <laughs> i've been working here long enough and i've already agreed to x amount of things and i think i kind of like this guy now so let me just oh he made me ceo i guess i'm just gonna be ceo Oh, I guess he's just going to be a superhero now. I'm just going to let him do that. Like, there's a lot of enabling on on Pepper's behalf, and I'm guessing it's all love. Maybe it's my cynical cabin fever nature creeping into all of this, but maybe like, like, I, Pepper Potts is probably just the most ride or die woman out there. I guess. Yeah, That's, yeah. Uh, at least until she didn't want to like until she lost interest in doing some of the movies and just stopped showing up. Did you miss uh, Pepper in this? Do you think this could have used a little bit of Pepper? Uh, I think it had just enough. Yeah, <laughs> spicy enough. <laughs> I think I had just enough. Um, no, I, 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 yeah, it's yeah, lost myself. Yeah, it basically, <laughs> it, it's almost like the secret identities did not have any real use in it because none of these people have any relationships to protect outside of their bigger circle. Like the only people outside of the circle that people seem to get t- talk to. Yeah. Hawkeye, like I said, Hawkeye didn't get his family until much later and he went off the grid. Uh, Cap would occasionally talk to Peggy who one, by that point was an old woman and two was in shield her entire adult life. She could have defended herself anyway. Right. Right. Yep. <laughs> Sharon in shield can defend herself just fine. Right. They yep. have no other people. So there's like no one to defend. Right. So they're just like, yeah, I'm Steve. You're Tony. That's the is that. I mean, that's kind of the way in all comic book media right now, right? Because it's kind of the same in DC. I mean, Superman has Lois, but for the most part, they're not. Well, I guess they targeted his mom that one time or the that, two times. It was a few times. Yeah, <laughs> someone locked Martha in a cage. <laughs> that's the one. That's the one you got to protect. Apparently, her and Mary Jane. Those two can't stop being captured. I don't right. know what's going on with this. So, it, go ahead. Now, as I say, like it's it's interesting how like how different it is in comparison, but also like when you read the books, like there's there's this idea that they that these people have these families and whatnot to protect, but 
for the even with still with a lot of characters like you don't see them. Yeah. We get yeah. Peter because Peter's like I've got a few friends. Most importantly, I've got Aunt May and MJ. If people know, they will be targets. Cool. Who's Tony looking out for? Jarvis? Yeah. And there's not even a Jarvis in this. No. There's no there's no Jarvis in this. Not a, not so, a human one. That completely changes the landscape of, of, of fears and presentation and all that stuff. When you when the, the people that you are the most scared to protect are kind of they can handle their own. Changes the game. Yes. Speaking of being able to handle their own, let's get into this comic and see how Iron Man handles being kind of confronted with the evolution of the human body. Um, when our story begins, we see three men enter what looks to be an abandoned slaughterhouse. One of the men injects uh, is injected with a substance at the base of his neck, while the others wait for the outcome. The injected man suddenly starts to undergo immense pain before spewing black bile. They run out of the room and lock him in it. I was like, "What? Are they? What's that's not? You supposed to be your friends? Like, <laughs> these guys aren't your friends. Kind this of is the worst business. prank ever." And they're all just waiting around for it. Like they inject him and they're sitting around. Like, oh, there's nothing. Bleh, bleh. Like, oh my god, let's get out of here. Yeah. Um, on November 9th, I don't know what the significance of that is. It was just on the comic page. Tony Stark is awakened by a phone call from his assistant, reminding him of an upcoming interview. He has a back and forth with his assistant, but agrees to do the interview as planned. At Future Farm Corporation's offices in Austin, Texas, Dr. Aldrich Killian commits suicide after typing and printing his confession. The note informs co-worker Maya Hansen that he has stolen and uh, let loose the company's most dangerous serum, Extremis, for some greater purpose. How did you feel about the, the usage and handling of Aldrich Killian in this story? Uh, cathartic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, then, then there's no way. There's no way he comes out at the third act and as a surprise villain, right? <laughs> no. Uh, having read it back, and yeah, I was just like, ha, <laughs> I'm fine. This is fine. <laughs> I was very surprised. I was like, wow, just open and shut case. All right. Um. So yeah, all just is dead, but yeah, Maya Hansen that she's also from Iron Man three, and we'll talk about more about Iron Man three when we're done with the comic. But I was I was happy to see her name because I recognized it. Yes. Um. Outside Stark International, protesters gather, rallying against Tony and his arms dealing. Inside, uh, Tony meets with John Stoss. I mean, John Pellinger. <laughs> <laughs> yes, John Stoffel. <laughs> and they uh, conduct, it's basically the same thing, and they conduct the interview for Pellinger's film, Ghosts of the 20th Century. <laughs> Which Great I was times. like, that's a, that, that's a bit, that's a bit on the nose. Like, what, 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 what are you interviewing me for? Ghosts of the 20th Century. All right, got it. Got um, it. They, discussed, they discussed whether Tony should be considered an arms dealer. An interview goes south when Pellinger shows Tony photos of people injured by his weapons. They also discuss how Tony was ultimately injured by one of his own landmines years ago, which ironically led to his origins as the Iron Man. Speaking of the Iron Man suit, John asks about the pilot, whom people think is Tony's bodyguard, not Tony himself, and Pellinger questions why keep something like that for yourself. Tony says that no, he lends out the Iron Man suit uh, for various occasions um, while he's created weapons he's found other uses for that tech to help help people and help people in hospitals 
And he continues to defend his actions, stating that while he started in weapons manufacturing, he's working on making the world better. He insists that he's trying. How'd you feel about that whole interview? Uh, it seemed kind of, uh, at least from the interviewer's sake, like, this is the cookie-cutter interview, which is like, ha-ha, your weapons have destroyed people. How dare you How dare you claim to be doing good? Like, dude, come on. Yeah. Come with something better. It's pretty by the books gotcha journalism, right? Like, yeah, and we, we got gotcha. to. Here's the pictures. <laughs> well, now what are you gonna do? Here's a little girl whose arm was blown off in Somalia. Like, he's legitimately showing him pictures of injured children. Like, yes, I've uh, totally seen this for the first time. My God, and mm-hmm. and Tony, would you say Tony was prepared for the interview? Not prepared? How did you see his his responses and reactions to everything? What'd you think? I'd argue he's been prepared for this for quite some time. It's, it's probably not the first. Yeah, I think it's it's kind of telling that at one point it's asked of him like, well, you know, you knew what kind of an interviewer I was. Why did you agree to, to do it? And he's like, basically, because you're the kind of journalist that goes out to seek change, who goes out and calls out the unfairness of the world and, and seeks to have things change around him. Uh, and I also, you know, you were asking me all these questions during the interview. I have a question sort of kind of for you, which is uh, while you've been doing this interview series, has things actually ever changed? Have you ever seen something that you reported on somebody behind it using the same kind of powers that I'm trying to? Have you seen them actively work towards creating a better world? And the guy's like, like, not really. <laughs> and Tony's like, well, I, I'm trying, you know, like. Like, and that that was kind of it was kind of pessimistic a little bit like this whole idea of like I get uh, but it's also a little bit inspiring the idea that everyone's just trying yeah. even the most rich guy in the world with the best suit in the world all the weapons in the world he's still trying everybody's just trying because not everything comes out the way that you want it to at the end of the day and like you said this entire scene is Tony Stark rallying behind the image of Tony Stark at least or the image that the people who don't like him like to portray him as, which is yes. this this money hungry, uh, bloodthirsty uh, innovator of death, innovator of violence to take uh, Tommy Dreamer's moniker away from him for a second. <laughs> and, and so you have this man who seemingly has the world in the palm of his hands and chooses to do good, but his past his past continues to haunt him. And he does he did create those weapons. That's another thing. It's not like a situation where he inherited at. 30 the company you know he worked on the company i think they go so far as to say like he built one of the first bombs he ever built at 19 you know like it was yeah. something that he remembers and so his livelihood and his life is, is tied to the invention of things uh first weapons and now um now i guess just innovations in other ways to help people i think it, it's also extremely telling that like right after this he kind of like flies away <laughs> like he's like you know what and he gets in this suit and he just flies off to go get some air um but i did like i like the entire interview i like the fact that the interview wasn't scared interview where it wasn't scared to approach him with the kind of the hard questions um and i think it was also kind of harrowing and chilling that basically the interviewer says the reason why we're interviewing you for this is because even though you stop weapons your weapons manufacturing the ghosts of your weaponry still has an impact on today. Right. And I was like, damn, that's something you put on a motherfucker's conscience. Like, that's, that's, <laughs> yeah. That's I mean, stuff and it's, 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 it's absolutely true. And it, it's one of those things where it's just like, uh, 
it, it it's easy for you. Matter of fact, have you ever seen like Lord of War? Yes, yes. It's I a have. very similar like idea, but it's like you as the as just this independent marketer get to like sell the weapons and walk away. But it's like now your weapons have not only been used, but then they've been stolen, then they've been repurposed, they've been re right. you know marketed. But your stickers are still on all of them. And also, like these things were designed for death, regardless of whether what side gets armed in it or maybe you know what outcome you thought wasn't going to happen surely right. you knew death was on the other hand of this right. <laughs> you know like regardless of who gets the gun you had to think that people were going to die i'm assuming that the only thing that helped your conscience was you assumed that the right people were going to die and once you start talking about which people should die we get into some very dicey territory yeah what once well now once we start having a conversation about well which ones were the right people it was like <laughs> <laughs> right, so I I'm totally with Tony getting in the suit, you know, flying away. They I even I have to go back and read other comic books um prior to this, but I they I think that even his whole like flying sequence is very Iron Man one, like the whole looking in the helmet. I'm pretty sure they've done that in other comics, but it felt like it felt like that at least. Yeah. Um, and so he goes to fly around town, and we're treated to a flashback of him and Maya Hansen meeting years earlier without Eiffel sixty five. <laughs> and Maya herself, <laughs> and Maya herself calls, asking to speak about everything that just. Um, and in, sorry, in in actual time, uh, in the present time, Maya herself calls, asking to speak up, uh, to speak to Stark about everything that just happened with Extremis and Killian. Tony agrees, and back at the slaughterhouse, the injected man has come back to life. Uh, I skipped some interim time where he was this weird gray cocoon thing, but yeah, yeah, that's just um, what happens. Yes. This is another very interesting uh, uh, part of the story. While on his jet, Tony takes a meeting with his board and they discuss needing a CEO in-house because Tony's always busy. Tony refuses to step down out of fear of having the company go back to weapons manufacturing and he thinks he can create enough value in other inventions. What do you think about that whole back and forth? Him like being like, this phone is going to be the most valuable thing ever. And they're like, Tony, but we want to build more weapons. Uh, yeah, of course you do. Um... I I forgot what I'd seen recently, but it was always like there's this idea that you know we get involved in these things and it sucks, but it's we 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 play along with these military contracts because the military funding is going to get us the money we need to do the things we want to do, which are good in nature. Yes, right. Yes, we just kind of have to do questionable things to get there, and the money seemingly is easy. This yeah. is something that's reiterated by Maya later on. This idea that I go, oh, yeah, as soon as I get the funding that I need, yeah, I get the funding to make the bad stuff, but that's enough money to make some good stuff ultimately anyway. Right. And it, it, it's... Eh, it's a funky line to walk down. <laughs> the phone sounds cool. Talking yes. satellites and all that stuff sounds cool. You know, I don't know if that was that 5G stuff that people was all scared about, but uh, he was definitely on the on the brink of something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like, it, it's a tough it's a tough line for to, to walk there, but I think it's I think there are some notable like ways to just measure, you know, how how, how much uh, how much will you allow to get something of of use. Yeah. 
Speaking of which, do you th- do you believe him in this whole sense of like them needing a CEO, or do you think that was just bait for him to try to get him to step down? Um, I think they believe it, but I also oh, think they okay. also, they want somebody else who's going to let them do the things they want. Right. He's kind of speaking like if you want to go back to like in the Iron Man series, he's the he's speaking for like the um, Iron Monger of it all. Right. Of like, Tony, Tony, relax. Like I get, I get this whole kick you're on, but right. we all still have to make money. Yes. Like we all didn't get hit by shrapnel. We all didn't become, become Iron Man. So we're not feeling you right now on this whole thing. I get that you've been, uh, what's that called? Born again. <laughs> I get that you've been born again, but we're still, we're still here. We got to deal with everything else. Um, Which is so hilarious because it's like, you're a bunch of people working in a massive building in, 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 in fine suits like, I think you're all making pretty good money. Yeah. Yeah. But sure. Yeah, and they're teleconferencing from their jets. Like, yeah. well, I know Tony is. <laughs> you know, he's like on a jet. Like, oh, yeah, by the way, you know, and all this other kind of stuff. And they wanted him to step down and be a technician because they still think that his inventions are useful. They just didn't want him to be, I guess. I, they didn't want him to feel like he was having too much responsibility, nor right. have too many responsibility lay on him because he's seemingly unreliable in the sense that he is not around um which is that reminds me of like the batman of it all where they's like sleeping in the in the meeting yes and it's like oh come on man we gotta we gotta get somebody else here because he is not paying attention didn't you get the memo oh dear <laughs> uh, um sassy morgan freeman <laughs> yes it's the best sassy morgan freeman and that this, this is a weird tangent sassy morgan freeman and that and then later on with the whole like um Wait, 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 wait. So you think you know who Batman is and you're going to blackmail him? <laughs> like, that's your plan? <laughs> For real? <laughs> oh, that that always gets me because it's, it's totally true. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> There's a man in a mask running across rooftops beating up thugs, muckers, and, you know, crazy people. And you, you want know? to extort him for money. <laughs> yeah, it's not going to work out for you, bud. You did not uh, think this through. <laughs> Uh, so Tony meets up with Maya and they manage to crack into Killian's computer and they, they, they fret around a little bit. Um, I shortened this portion because I don't know what I was supposed to get out of it. If you know something, let me know because the two visit an old friend and teacher, Sal Kennedy and discuss innovation, usefulness, and drugs. (laughs) That's what I've written here. (laughs) Did you gleam anything else from that conversation? I think the idea is that he's trying to impart on both of them that like they're supposed to be actually doing something, they're supposed to be doing something to better the world, but she's okay. too busy trying to climb up the ladder and and, and and you know having to do twice the work for half the the uh okay. the payoff right. to do it. And Tony's so busy with his giant suit. Yeah. Yeah. But, like none of them are actually doing the radical things that they that he thinks they need to do to really better the world because they both have their own personal um, ego attached to it. Yeah, so it's almost like putting up a mirror uh, up against them. Like, look yes. at where you guys are and look where you thought you would be and what you thought you would be doing. I got lost in the in the LSD of it all and the, DM, <laughs> and the, and the DMT of it all. So he's just certainly. like, he's like, oh yeah, I've just been taking all kinds of drugs. <laughs> like, maybe you guys are just... Take a bunch of drugs and you feel better. I'm like, I'm oh, the wise man. shaman. Yeah, I'm like, and he is, 
he looks like the guy that they and I'm not trying to get political, but he looks like the guy that they said was Trump's president um doctor. <laughs> you ever seen that guy? I haven't <laughs> so, actually. Um he looks he looks like a hippie basically. So I was like, nice. oh, all right. That, that that clings. Um while this is going on, the infected man who we find out is named Malin is released from a, the back of a van in front of a FBI building. He goes in and single-handedly kills every guard, taking gunfire in the process, but is seemingly unaffected. He then uses his fire breathing to torch the facility. Maya catches the story on the news, realizes the terrorists are in fact using extremists and causing casualties of over 50 civilians. Back in the van, Manon tells his homies that he's just getting started. Uh, what do you think about the attack on the FBI? I like the art. I really like the art in this entire comic. I like uh, Addy Gravnov's art. Yeah, I, I love this dude's work. Like, and, and this is just another one of those issues I have where I'm like, ah, uh, all my favorite artists pretty much only do covers. I also wonder if it was intentional. A lot of the times where Malin, Malin is on screen, there's not much dialogue. No. Like, even when he goes and fights Tony, well, both times that they fight, there's stuff said, you know, don't get me wrong, but it's just these beautiful action uh, set pieces drawn beautifully where you can see the intensity of the electricity or the fire or the blood or the veins like seeing people um you know in that pain when they first take extremists like that's some visceral imagery right there and i, I, I like the stuff where you could kind of see like you know the the uh the serum or whatever it's just like the way it's pumping and moving through his body yeah and the yeah. things it's doing to his face and his skin which are all pretty Damn disgusting. Horrific stuff. Horrific stuff. So on their plane ride back, Tony asks if Maya is sure that it's extremist. And she says it all checks out. She explains that extremist is another attempt at the super soldier serum that created Captain America. Uh, God damn it. (laughs) Yes, this is about the 10th time or something like that. (laughs) The whole weapons plus program is failed Captain America experiments. Yes. All, all of those guys, in case, you, in case you didn't know. All Wolverine, Deadpool, all those guys are supposed to be the next level of Super Soldier that they created all the way in 1939, I want to say, or 1940s. And they still yet in in 60 plus, 80 plus years um, perfected it. It's bananas. Don't stop. Don't, stop. You know, stop trying. Please. Yeah. Don't, don't they like... <sighs> It's either this book or another book I was reading. I think, like, don't they comment that it's sort of like the uh, the Erskine parable or something that's like it worked because he was on it. I remember this, and I don't, I don't. It wasn't this, but you're 100 percent right. I, yeah, man, what is that from? It, it was it's like, something yeah, to was, the extent that like Erskine kind of like will died with work. him. Yeah, yeah, like it, like whatever it was with him that got it to work, it died with him. Um, which is apparently true because again, another another series of people's lives ruined by the idea that we need to go back to the drawing board on this freaking super soldier virus. It took us um, it took us ten tries to get it slightly less wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and even Deadpool's still a murderer, and he's not a murderer for the good; he's a murderer for the money. So I'm, I'm not... about I'm about Logan, but oh well, yeah, that's Logan too. Yeah, <laughs> Logan. Wait, which number is Deadpool supposed to be? 10? No, he's uh, 11, 12. Yeah, because Logan's 10, right? Because that's, yeah, that's, that's the gimmick. Yeah, Weapon X. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So like, it took us 10 times to get it slightly less wrong. 
and he still can't remember who he is. <laughs> and he's right. going through a lot of he's going through a lot of things right now. He thinks he's Japanese. There's a, there's a bunch of stuff going on. <laughs> right. And you know, uh like 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 sure, Deadpool can regenerate and, and all that stuff, but he kinda looks like all those things that, that actor said he did. Yes, especially the Sharpe. Um, <laughs> so Tony gets uh an update on Killian's crack computer, and it's a bad one. Apparently, Aldrich gave the serum to a domestic terrorist organization. Um, so what? Do you, so he said he did that for a greater purpose. That's why I'm saying, like, I think that the the only thing missing in here is an actual, maybe even a fake named domestic terrorist organization. Something that you could have assumed that Aldrich was subscribed to, right? You know, but it ultimately just becomes kind of a cookie cutter. What would you say? Pro white? Is it pro white? Is it pro American? What is? What is Malin? Um, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if I say, I don't want to say it's pro-American because like it, it's, it's kind of this weird, uh, I, I guess pro-citizens. Yeah, I guess like really, like really second amendment, like those really hard second amenders. Yeah, like the like like we we should like the, everyone has too much control. Yeah, it, it's Basically. one of those people who who's more just like. You know, we just want the government out of our stuff. Right. And they allude I, I don't I didn't put it anywhere in here, but it's alluded that um his family was killed by the government. Yes. Uh, or cops. Um probably for running guns or having guns or doing something with guns. Um and Malis Malin is colored uh, his entire worldview is colored by that event. And we find out that during that event when he was probably like 13 or something like that, he had actually killed somebody. So he's yes. been taking bodies uh, for years at, at this point. We, we, we've pretty much ruined any, any bit of empathy we could have had here. Yes. Yeah. It's all been ironed out. Um, I see what I like is that, <laughs> what I like is that Tony calls up the government and gives up all the, inf- I never seen that before. But Batman never gives up the file on the guy. You know, like, he calls the government. He tells him everything about these these guys, everything about Malin that he knows, um, you know, everything about Killian's computer, all, all that. He gives it straight up to the government. And then he's like, oh, yeah, and by the way, um, should you need Iron Man, he's, he's, you know, he's on call. Let me know. And I was like, that's kind of cool. That's kind of, I like, I like the efficientness of that. Everyone's always trying to keep things to themselves because they're like, oh, we don't know who's in on this. Right. We trust the... Uh, you trust the system enough to be like, uh, "Hey, this is your problem. Let me know if you need Iron Man." <laughs> it, it's uh, he sent. Go ahead. I was say it's it's a real bizarre situation in the sense that like the the government really really trusts this anonymous benefactor. <laughs> yeah. Or oh, this this anonymous player of justice. Right. He's just so nice, man. <laughs> just super duper nice. Um, he sends Maya back to Future Farm because he's like, you don't want to be around for any of this. And right. dons the Iron Man suit to investigate what's going on and find the culprits responsible for the FBI attack. Um, he manages to track the terrorist van from up above via body heat scans and tears it in half with a non-lethal repulsor ray. I don't know what a non-lethal repulsor ray is. That thing split <laughs> a van. So I'm assuming that it can split a person. It sounds kind of lethal. It is what it is. Malin instantly recovers and after refusing to surrender peacefully, engages Iron Man in a brutal fight. Throughout the battle, it becomes obvious that Malin's new abilities far surpass the uh, processing speed and durability of Iron Man's armor. 
I, I legit but, just like cringed when he kicks his knee. Yeah. Well, oh, the, the, when he crumples his hand, when he grabs his hand, yeah, like, breaks his fingers inside the Iron Man like gauntlet yeah. or glove or whatever you would call it. I was like, oh my god! When they're taking off the pieces later, Maya, and it's just like he's soup inside that inside that uh that suit. The yeah. suit is keeping him together. It's literally it, like holding him together. Um, but yeah, he's just getting his ass kicked and in front of everybody, which is not great. Um, so uh, suffering severe injuries and damage to his armor, Iron Man, the police managed to repulse Malin, though civilian casualties are present. Uh, before Malin leaves, he drops a car, uh, a burning car for the people on Tony Stark. He's trapped beneath it um, with his armor at almost zero. Stark saves himself and the car's passengers by raising his armor to 1% power by drawing from the flame's thermal energy, though he is forced to rely on the police to remove the car from atop his body. Um, when emergency services arrive, he tells them to airlift him to future farms, and Maya sees Iron Man down and rushes him to a medical facility. When they are alone, Tony confides in her that Iron Man and Tony Stark are one and the same by removing his faceplate. Um, how do you feel about this fight, and how do you feel about Tony being straight up with Maya? Uh, the fight was brutal. Like, it, it, it's it's one of those interesting things too. If you're like a first time reader, where it's just like, wow, Iron Man's getting his ass kicked. Yeah, and like, handily, really like, handily, badly. Definitively. Yeah, yeah. And the thing is, because of the, you know, and this was for the restraint of the writer, because of the lack of other characters in the universe, he kind of does seem on his own in this. Yeah, totally. So when he's getting his ass kicked, you're not like, oh, well, Thor is going to show up or, you know, like he can't die. It, it, you're just like, oh, my God, wh- where is this about to go? Um, and it, it goes into some devastating areas. Because like I said, once he gets to that uh, medical facility and so he basically comes there and he confesses that he needs extremists. This thing that we know is we could, you know, make you spew black bile and shoot fire. <laughs> Case, how do you feel about Tony Stark ultimately confessing that what he got ain't good enough? Uh, I th- I think it's kind of a logical progression. Um, it's sort of a it's it's sort of the thing you get sometimes with stuff like this where if you need to co- you need to constantly raise the stakes of the villain and to do so you need to continue to raise the level of the hero. Yeah, and sometimes I- the answer isn't just you know some sort of like some trick or some sort of uh, uh, uh some sort of skill like role but we need to completely rethink the strategy how do you feel about him taking the the actual villainous thing like fighting kryptonite with kryptonite if you will i think it's completely up the tony stark alley to think i can do this better yeah, the man with the biggest stick wins, isn't that what he said? Something like that. Like that. Something like that. <laughs> America has a big stick, or something like that. I think someone's gonna use those clips of me, and it's gonna stop me from becoming president one day. But um, yeah, he's he doesn't seem to be wavering in the idea that okay, well, if that's the thing that's making him fast and strong and faster and stronger than me, then screw it. I'm I'm all about that. I'll take some. Um, she is. I think he's also facing the kind. He's also kind of facing the Reaper here, where it's just like, oh, by the way, it's going to heal me, and I'm about to die. Yeah. Oh, that's another part we should say that when after she he reveals himself and stuff like that, um, she's helping him take off his armor, and as she takes off plates, she just sees broken bones, blood, you know, this 
disfigurement, all of that stuff. And um, the only reason why he's not screaming at the top of his lungs is because his suit actually injects painkillers into him, which I thought that was pretty nifty. Yes. Um, also kind of scary. And kind of like foreshadowy like that you can get hooked on that kind of stuff like, oh yeah you know, like that's not a that's not a good way to to do that um throughout the battle it becomes obvious oh i said that already uh <laughs> she calls him she calls him insane but he confesses that even with months of working on the suit he wouldn't be able to bridge the gap of technology between extremists and where he's at he needs the suit to be wired to him or more so wired to his brain She's reluctant, but he convinces her strengthening his mental connection to be able to deploy the suit and use it quicker is the goal besides the uh, the, re- the reparative and recovery-inducing effects of Extremis, which why, why it was in- initially created. Right. Um, Maya shows him the Extremis operating room and is looking over, and he's looking over the footage for the, uh, and in looking over the footage for the Madden fight, Tony is able to determine Malin's next target is Washington, D.C. Speaking of Malin, he bumps into a goth girl and they get into an argument over identity politics, which leads to her death. <laughs> and did you want to talk about that conversation uh, with old you, Malin and that girl? You know, it's a really, uh, so it's interesting in the sense that up until this point, Malin is like, he's more shadows of a character before he's a character yet. He's basically faceless. He could he could have just been a goon. Absolutely. He's just for all you know, like he's every sort of like quasi tragic villain who got roped into a thing and all of a sudden now he's this madman with all the power, right? Yeah. And and he takes some thoughts and beliefs he had and they, they get ramped up to ten and now he's like, Gonna fix America. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Um this is where you're reminded if you have forgot if if you know anything about this sort of thing and you forgot along the way, oh, this is a Warren Ellis book. Yes. <laughs> now we're about to go to And Warren has things to say. <laughs> about politics, yeah. We're about to go to Washington DC, talk about the crooks in the White House. That's all coming. Uh, um, so this is the this is our first moment where you get a bit of a character um dump. For who Malin is and what his motivations are. And ultimately, he thinks that any kind of government that can come in and kill indiscriminately shouldn't be trusted. And I agree. I agree with that with that method. I just don't know what he was doing to have the government knock on his door because they don't just do that. The good ones don't, at least. Right. So it's like, what was going on with Malin? He was doing, they were up to some kind of nefarious things in that household. Uh, and unless they and unless they keep up with that later in subsequent issues, there's no there's no point where you ever get this like, oh, government's being kind of shady. Right. Yeah. You know, uh, back at, at Future Farm, Tony has a new suit sent to him. The suit has the capabilities to enable extremists control over the armor. Tony takes extremists saying his internal injuries will kill him if he doesn't do so. So Maya gives him a lower dose of the serum that will not alter his mind or body as it did for Malin. Unknown to Maya, Tony's a little scamp and had altered the uh, structure of the extremist dose, removing several safeties and linking him to his armor and machinery. Tony falls into a coma as a cocoon forms around his body. 
Uh, I thought I thought something bad was going to happen. This kind of I think in the future you might get some uh, negative effects of extremists, but for the most part, it's kind of open and shut. Like nothing. He's in no danger. No, it's pretty open and shut. Um, they never because these are the only two they go into with this book. Yeah, there's never any like. Um, does everyone make it? Does everyone come out a super person? Yeah. Other than yeah. other than the idea that like it seems that the extremist has deeply corrupted Malin's mind, right? And the thing is, and that should be like a tip off that you probably shouldn't want to take it. And another thing is, because this is such an Iron Man focused book, like you said, the 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 supporting characters are limited. What does it mean when he shows up for his next Avengers meeting? Right, and he puts on the suit, and everyone's like, well, "How can you do that?" Oh, yeah, well, there was this, there was the serum, you know. <laughs> Yada yada yada, domestic terrorism. Yada yada yada, almost died. Yada yada yada. Now it's in me, bone marrow. You know, it's like, wait, right. what? What's going on? What's going on here? But yeah, it's like, hey, 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 we like cap in this room every day. <laughs> and so, in case you didn't see Iron Man one, we are treated with a, a retelling of the Iron Man origin, starting with his first mortal injury with that landmine that we we're talking about, and the construction of the original arc reactor with Ho Jensen. Um, and you know, they, in case you didn't know the initial utility of the arc reactor was to stop the shrapnel lodged in Tony Stark's chest and prevent it from puncturing his heart. He also reminisces about the creation of the Mark one Iron Man suit, something powered by the same thing, keeping him alive. And that would allow for the two to escape to their captors or escape their captors. Yes. Uh, 24 hours into his coma, the cocoon, which has covered Tony's entire body bursts. Stark awakens healed and newly fit. An internal an internal control sheath for his Iron Man armor is now contained within the hollows of his very bones, able to emerge upon mental command. This would uh, become the precursor to the popular Bleeding Edge armor he creates later. Yes. Um, he can integrate himself not only to his armor, but his phone, his computer, and even satellite networks all with his brain. Uh, Maya confronts Tony on the potential strain his organs will suffer, only to find out that extremists allowed for him to grow entirely new organs. <laughs> uh, it's I feel like it's the second time they mentioned it, or well, I'm confusing it with the movie. I, but I feel like I feel like there's another point in the book where they're just like, like, well, what, what about his organs? He's like, it's creating brand new ones. Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, it's because this whole thing. Well, at least it's it's more laid out in the film, but the whole idea is hacking the human body. Yes, the idea that the human body can be altered with when you change genetic code, and we're all made up the same way as computers. And so, if you break us down to our very base elements and you change certain things, just like in a computer, um, you could reroute them um, to do other things, and in this case, more spectacular things. Um, so he has his old, uh, really cool suit. Um, using an older version of the Iron Man suit stored in a suitcase, Tony explains that the autonomous, autonomous uh, armor was the way of the future. Um, and now that he has Extremis, we can actually use it. And we're about to get into the final act of this because tapping into a satellite cluster, Iron Man finds Malin heading towards Washington intent on killing the president. 
Having the police evacuate the city, Iron Man confronts Madden during the fight. Iron Man reveals several aspects of his past, saying that he was forced to kill nearly 50 people in order to escape the terrorists and save himself and his friend, only to witness a stray bullet kill Jensen on impact instead. Madden replies that his parents died the same way. So all of this, I, ha- I went through this th- two or three times just to to wrap my mind around the opinion that I had of it. Right. And it's all just Tony Stark kind of just like, like kind of gloating, but <laughs> also very mad. Like he's very upset in this. He's kind of gloating. He's at this level of just like, he's over Malin, basically. He's over Malin. He's over the extremist thing. He's over people asking him if, if Iron Man suits for a weapon. Um, and he internalizes this conflict by saying that Malin represents him, uh, you know, like if he was unchanged. Right. Like he would just be a weapon. He would just be a weapon pointed at whatever the hell is getting him mad today. And, um, well, oh yeah, it, uh, Tony points out that when Malin killed 50 people, it's not the same. Because when Malin did it, he did it with no knowledge of who they were. And he did it 20 years after his trauma. Mm-hmm. You know, like this is where Tony did it to escape, literally escape captive, uh, uh, capture, sorry. Now superior to Madden, Iron Man explains, and he's explained this whole thing while knocking him through buildings, yes. while hitting him with construction equipment. Uh, at one point, he uses his satellites in his suit to uh, deduce that they're under a main electrical line, and he rips it up and just shoves it into the chest of Madden. Like, I'm telling you, he is having a blast with all his little uh, upgrades and stuff. So... Um, uh, now superior to Madden, Iron Man explains that he had to be the one to stop the terrorists, seeing Madden as a perversion of himself, a man with power, but no concern for or ability to see the future. In the end, Madden refuses to listen, pins Stark to the ground, and violently declares, there isn't any future. I am going to kill him. Kill it. Seeing the horror before him, Stark begs that Madden not make him do what he has to, uh, but ends up firing a unibeam piercing Malin's chest and tearing his organs apart. That was a uh, quite a bit quite an image. Mm, yes it was. But it was getting to the case like how it is in Iron Man 3 where he was literally going to kill him, right? Like his strength would have probably punctured the Yeah, it, the it, Iron Man it was it was a matter of seconds in like a you or me situation. Like I either defend yeah. myself or I'm a dead man. That was the very Bucky Barnes moment when, when Bucky goes to rip out the yeah, <laughs> rip out the arc reactor. He's like, "No, screw this, <laughs> Unibeam." And so, uh, I just spoke about how that's one of the only things I knew. So, seeing it in this comic was like, "Yeah, I'm here for that." <laughs> uh, um, enraged by the man's refusal to give up, as well as his contempt for all life, and because I want to say he's just freaking over it. Iron Man grabs Manon's head with both hands and blows it off with a double blast of his repulsor rays. Overkill or nah, GT? No. No? No. Why you say so? I mean the man's got a a man's crushing my my neck with, you know, his <laughs> bare hands. I was well, I'm just gonna blast you through the skull. Yeah. Yeah, I could totally I could totally see that. I mean that the imagery just is crazy. Like the imagery of seeing like even the shadow. Oh, yeah, it, right it, it looks real nasty. Just like his head exploding to see the the bomb go right through his chest, all of that stuff, um, and it's just uh, you don't you, you don't usually see Iron Man in those colors, if you will. 
No, you don't. But, it's about <laughs> it's it's about the most violent I've seen it. Yeah, but um, furious. Oh, go ahead. I was gonna say, like with weaponry like that, that is kind of like what it would look like at its at its highest, you know, uh, potential. And even though it was a, a couple years probably prior, it, it's very Man of Steel esque in the sense that it's been decided by Tony that this man has to die. Like you understand, know it's no. At that point, when he's laid down on the ground, it's no longer about like winning an ideological war. No, this man is a weapon, and if I don't take him out, not only could he cause the death of me, but mostly, you know, I mean, po- possibly hundreds of others, if not millions. Um, so, furious Iron Man condemns Malin for what he made him do. Recovering from the incident, Stark declares that he has one last thing to do: the worst part yet. Were you aware of what was about to go down, Mister GT? The first time I read it, no. And I should have been. <laughs> uh, so confronting Maya at Future Farm, Iron Man reveals that Maya was clearly Killian's accomplice due to the issue of needing two key cards entered at the same time, as well as her extensive involvement with the formula. Maya allows herself to be taken away, though she justifies her action, comparing the extremist serum to the atom bomb, saying it had to be uh, used once in anger so that it could never be used in anger again. Um... Maya then declares that Tony is no better than she is, to which Iron Man replies, no, but I'm trying to be, and tomorrow I'll be able to look at myself in the mirror. End comic. Mm. So, yeah. I think the ending was a bit yada yada. I wish there was a little bit more to it. Like, I think it was like two pages. Right. Like, this is the ending. You know how they always try to, like, uh, quickly summarize everything at the end? Yeah. Um, Yeah. I wonder when he knew also. Like, when, at what point, did he know prior to Extremis, taking Extremis? Like, he trusted her in that instance? Uh, I, I think it would have to be, because I think I think he gets the idea that something is shaky once she makes it very clear, like, you need two, two key cards to open it. Oh, yeah, yes, yeah, that, which is, which is, you know, <laughs> like, it's like, yeah, it's just, it was me and uh, Kelly, and we were the only ones that had him. It's like, yeah, that doesn't really check out. Like, oh, so you needed to be here every time, you say? Hmm. So, so no Aldrich Killian, no terrible dragon back tattoo, no small precocious child. Uh, <laughs> I still like this story. I still dug. I dug the story. I thought it was simplistic enough uh, for new comic readers. I thought it was um, action packed enough for old comic readers to uh, with this retread of the origin in case they were a little bit uh, dulled by it. You uh, you have all that fantastical stuff happening in the background, which I think helps it a lot. A lot. It's probably one of the um, best like first books. Yes, I think so. Especially in this new, you know, it's, it's not even ten years old at this point. No, so um, I think that it, it it's definitely one of the better modern retellings of Iron Man, Iron Man's lore, which doesn't explain how it got so screwed over on the silver screen. <laughs> Iron Man, directed by Shane Black, was released in two thousand thirteen, and this is what Shane has to say about uh, Extremis in the Extremis comic book. There's a type of thing that takes over and basically upgrades DNA. Sometimes you die. But if you live through the experiment, then you come out this change thing. But the way they do it is the guy that does it is not some man chosen to be the super soldier. He's just a militia guy. There's an element of realism to it as well. So what we try to do is take this very science fiction-y concept of super people and ground it in the types of people who volunteer for this, not necessarily being super villains, but people who upgrade. Hmm. I love the idea of a supervillain that doesn't wear a cape, uh, that doesn't wear a super suit, that just goes around dressed as how you look now. 
as for the science of it, once again, we've gone back to the comic books and it pretty much lifted that it's Maya Henson's idea. Uh, that she met Tony long ago and had the germ of, the, of an idea and now it's come to full, uh, fruition, full circle. But she's afraid because it's gotten out there and we go from there. I think uh, you'll be interested in the effect that we generate to demonstrate what extremis does to a human being. It's pretty interesting special effect. We've deliberately stayed away from, the, the, from defining, oh, it's nanites. What we do keep uh, from the comic is the idea that there's a slot in the brain that seems to have been dormant but exists in human beings. Almost as if it's waiting for human beings to find a way to fill it. It's been there forever. You had the arduous task of going back and watching IMN 3. Ah. I said, no mas, after seeing it <laughs> several times and covering it here. But I still want to talk about it, especially with your new eyes, given everything that's gone on, given the fact that Tony Stark is no longer in the MCU, with everything. Um, how did this more recent sitting feel especially in comparison to extremists which we just covered um easier like it 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 definitely sounds a lot like what he said in the sense of trying to really ground that story into something like all the people who are on it seem to be people who were even though you never get introduced to them you are led to believe that these people were all once just like people trying to fix something. Yeah. Because there's the woman it, who has no arm. But the thing is, in, in the film, isn't aren't they all soldiers? I believe most of them are, because most of them have been wounded in battle in some way. Am, like amputees from... Um, wounded warriors from uh, previous, I guess, uh, clashes and stuff like yes. that. Yes. We, we keep the idea of extremists... Uh, being this thing that could kill you, that literally, literally erupts from inside of you. I did like the effect. I like, you know, seeing seeing that effect uh, when we see it with some of those extremist soldiers. I think the big thing, the major change in this is the involvement of Aldrich Killian. Yes. He's not dead in this. Instead, he's alive. Um, and all of this, you can say, it's not directly, but you can say all of this is as a result of Tony Stark ghosting him uh, at, the, <laughs> at New Year's Eve of uh, the year 2000, um, where Aldrich was going to kill himself, ultimately. Am I getting that right? Yes. He thought about taking that one, that one quick trip to the lobby. My gosh. So he's on top of the roof, going to kill himself. He's like, nah, screw that. I'm going to prove this Tony Stark wrong. When you first meet him, he's all disheveled and looks like this kind of crazy mulleted scientist. Um, but when we're reintroduced to him, he's clean cut. He's wearing suits. He's speaking well. His teeth are fixed. All this stuff. And um, ultimately, the big thing in Iron Man 3 is, besides the introduction of Aldrich Killian, is this idea of this other terrorist or this other terrorist, this terrorist called the Mandarin. And using harrowing footage that's very similar to some of the propaganda footage that was shot, you know, um, while we were dealing with, uh, you know, Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden, stuff like that. We have Sir Benjamin Kingsley playing, um, I'll call him in this instance, the Mandarin. Yes. Uh, um, and he's portraying like these images of fear. I thought the I thought the portrayal of the Mandarin was absolutely outstanding. It might be my favorite part of that. I, I feel like if you watch it in a supercut, it's just really enthralling. 
Yeah. If and you were to cut all like, you've seen together. that imagery kind of before. You know what that stuff is. You know, you know, you know, you've seen the attacks on America before, and you've seen the ideologies that supposedly, you know, want that sort of thing. And like there's moments of first of all, his line delivery is perfect. He wouldn't be knighted if it wasn't, right? <laughs> um my me and my friends even ever, when he's kind of even when he's kind of like taking a piss out of the line. Or he's yes. just like, he's like, uh, uh, another embassy was destroyed. Y- yeah, yeah, that was me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the Braves were away. You know, like the the way he just emotes, but the line, um, that me and my friend would repeat for years was, "And you'll never, never see me coming." coming. <laughs> just the way he said it. Like I, you know, you don't know who I am. You don't know where I am. And, and I'll come and you'll never see me coming. And it was just like, wow, that's haunting. And then like the imagery of him with his arms outstretched as children run up to hug him. Yeah. I was like, oh my God, like, this stuff is deep. Like this stuff is, but I had to know, I had to know we were in a pool, Greg. Right. And the whole pool, <laughs> if you swim long enough, you get to the stairs. So. Oh, uh, so t- you- the bad news is that sometimes the stairs hit you right in the knee. Right. And um, so there, there's explosions being done around the world that the Mandarin is taking credit for, but ultimately it's extremist soldiers. Am I right? Yes. And there, these are mistakes. Accident. Yeah. Right. Um, like testing, testing this stuff, and and certain people are not compatible with extremists, so they explode. And every time there is an ex- explosion, the Mandarin has been taking credit for it. Um, do you want to do the reveal to those who have not seen this movie after seven years? <laughs> um basically the moment the moment of uh how do you say contact is where Iron Man finally gets to the base of the Mandarin and finds him only to find a disheveled, slightly drunken, possibly high Mandarin who is preparing to take care of the two donated prostitutes but to him. His concubines who yes. are laying in bed. Um and, and this repeat. is also, no, I was going to say, this is also a narrative that people say that, you know, that the deep state and all this other kind of stuff are creating its own terrorists, right? Like that's one of the one of the conspiracy theories that uh, people create their own enemies and then they put them out there to, to have a singular target to fight. And so Aldrich gets to wrink, get the wrinkles out of his extremist virus and just use Trevor Slattery, which we find out is the name of the Mandarin, um, to do so. Yes. Um, and you know what? Here's the thing. I get it. I get what it's going for. There's there's like there's a good story here in the idea that um this rich white dude created this terrorist to cover up all of his scientifical uh mishaps that are going on across the country and was able to really direct everyone's attention to this, you know, the um the other over there, right? Yeah. Which you never see and is only on these grainy videotapes and no one can find any evidence of. But right. it's and GPS locks it into Miami. <laughs> right. Absolutely. So it's just it's just this scary thing that we can't find, you can't understand. It's, you know, some sort of ghost in the machine somewhere. And by by creating that terror, you're able to just kind of uh, cover it all up with what you're really doing um, under everyone's noses. 
that's all great. The problem is that they ran it with this sort of meta marketing. Yes. So the exact same thing that Killian is selling to the country in that movie is what the movie is selling to us. Right. Yeah. So now we're just upset. <laughs> I was thinking though when you were saying that you you made a good point about um the other and the like there's a nuance to the a white man turning America toward to the other or towards the other as an yes. enemy um you know uh for his own will or his own good. Yes. But but I think just like the story that we just covered that could have been explored way deeper, right? Like, what if, what if, because of what happened with the Mandarin, America's galvanized against a certain part of the country, or a right. certain part of, of, of the world, or, or certain citizens that exist in America, you know, like that might look like the Mandarin, or might, you know, can speak Mandarin or whatever. Right. The hell. Um, I think that because it would have been so much bigger if, if the government. Or somebody else would have been the Tony Stark of it all to be like, we don't care. Come attack us. Yada, yada, yada. Um, Tony Stark being emboldened in that moment ultimately costs him his whole, where like, not his warehouse, his mansion. Sure. Um, and I mean, like, theoretically speaking, you could you could easily find yourself. Find your, yourself. Mm. I, was, I was about to say, there's a little bit of twang on that. Right a, little, there. a little bit. I don't know where that came from, but it happened. Um, Ain't he great? Hey, hey, hey! Oh, oh! I gonna wipe the sweat off my brow. Um, you you can find yourself in a in a situation to where, um, we created this this fake enemy, and a nation rallied itself around this fake enemy, and in doing so, impulsively created other scapegoats for that enemy, and along the way, created a real one. Yeah, which happens here. <laughs> you know, that happens, that happens all the time. Like we, you know, we we had um, we had attacks here in America on September 11th. Yes, we didn't necessarily know who did them, but we went to two different countries looking for the perpetrators, right. killing people on the way there. Right. And I say this as a former soldier who fought in Operation Iraqi Freedom. I right. completely understand when we went over there, we had no idea where exactly to look. We weren't fighting the Iraqi army. Right, we, they, you know, we weren't and fighting an army. And potentially along the way, created enemies, enemies that didn't exist when you got there. Exactly, because they got emboldened against us because they didn't real, they didn't understand why we were there, and we didn't even understand why we were there. Which, as I said, like they they could have taken that to the natural progression of America's being hardened against any foreigners. Like if the oh, but look at the Mandarin. We let the Mandarin in. Look what the hell happens. Like that. I feel like that's where we would have went <laughs> eventually, or that's where certain people's minds would have went eventually. Um, but or, or it would it also would have been cool if the Mandarin was like if they revealed the Mandarin was real like they do in the um have you seen the I've I know oh. of it but I've never actually watched it okay um well it's re it's revealed in in a quite convincing fashion that the Mandarin and the Ten Rings still exist um and are, they're not too happy with Trevor's uh, portrayal of everything <laughs> but I think that I I mm, the level of of fear or should i say intimidation mm -hmm. that i had towards the character of the mandarin is something that i don't i don't think i felt again 
Uh, um, it's, but it's maybe, gonna... maybe I'm too close to it. <laughs> you know, that could also be it. Maybe I'm too close to it, but it was like something so real and raw and evil. Like, it just felt, it just felt very uh, current. I, like, you gave, the, you know, had you given this, this, this casting to a lesser actor, it wouldn't yeah. be as, it wouldn't have been as jarring. Yeah. Because you could have yeah. easily given this to a lesser actor, and it could have felt like a uh, a much less inspired performance, um, where you're delivering like the, the, these aren't exactly like original lines; they're kind of cliche in their own way, you know. Yeah, um, which makes sense in, in the scheme of the film, right? Like that kind. Oh no, yeah, sense. absolutely. But like he, he he's not saying anything that. You probably haven't heard every other villain say it before. You know, I, right. I consider myself a teacher. Like, I assure you do, asshole. Uh, right, we are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but because it's Sir Ben Kingsley, and because he's so good at what he does, he really pulls you into it. So now, what is it? Like, se- seven years later? Yeah. Yeah. Has it been seven years since Iron Man 3? Since Iron Man 3 Iron Man 1? I'm in three. No, but uh, seven years between which two events? Oh, no, I'm saying, I'm talking about like seven years since the release of the movie. Oh, yes, yes, yes. 2013, yep. Okay, so like, but so seven years, like between the seven years from the release of the movie, now we're hearing, oh, by the way, we're doing this thing again. Yes. Enjoy that Shang-Chi movie. <laughs> yes. Which, show, which also shows the, that that character has juice, which I think that's the main reason why people were upset. Yes. Fanboys get upset for all kinds of things, but it was the idea that, wait, this thing was kind of cool. And you said it best. I don't think they could have gotten away with the swerve. If it, I mean, some people think that they didn't get away with it at all, but what I'm saying is, I think the reason why the swerve works, sort of, kind of, is because Ben Kingsley is such a huge name, you would never think that he's a front Right. For somebody else. And that you were bringing him in to play this absurdly stupid, useless character. I can't really remember what my mind... I think, like, looking back, it's kind of obvious that Aldrich is the villain, right? Uh, yeah. But you like, kind of feel... I, I think you're almost assuming that he's, like, the pawn. All right, yes. yeah. Oh, that he might be working for the Mandarin. Yes. Which... Yeah, that makes sense. Which doesn't help itself because that's the exact same plot of the second movie. Right. Yeah. 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 hundred percent. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. Hammer's just, there's a, t- there's a, aunt, there's a, there's a poster boy tech guy. Yes. Who's being manipulated by an international terrorist seemingly. Who has a problem with Tony Stark stemming from years ago. Yes. <laughs> yep. Th- those damn Starks, man. Always making friends wherever they go. Yes. So many uh, friends. We got Maya in this instead of her being the ultimate, uh, you know, person that's trying to galvanize uh, people to be for extremists or against it. I guess uh, she's shot in 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 a scene that people say is similar to Incredible Incredibles, right? Is it just regular Incredibles? <laughs> I think so. I've only seen the first one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, where it basically. Just like in the Incredibles, the um, sidekick realizes how little she means to the the <laughs> to overall the, uh, plot. bigger bad. Yeah, the bigger bad, the overall plot. Like he just shoots her point blank, just shoots her, and that's the end of her. 
Um, after reading the book in comparison, do you think you wanted more Maya? Or does she serve her purpose? I think she ultimately serves her purpose, but I think like the plot is so different that at that point it's it's almost like um you didn't need her there. She almost thickens it a little bit, right? Because then you got to tie back to 2000. You tie back to she has several conversations with Pepper that you can all take as disingenuine because ultimately she understands why the Mandarin's attacking Tony, etc. So it's like, and it's, it's almost, not even the case of, and it's almost like Tony wronged them both because like he just left her after their little one night stand, right? And usually this is a case of, um, like her, like she doesn't want revenge on him. In most cases, this would have been a case of her trying to actively seek revenge, but she's ultimately trying to do something, I guess, nice. Yeah. Or initially was nice, but yeah, not not. They don't they they don't do well by her. Um, do you want to talk about Harley? About hmm? uh, Harley Keener, <laughs> the boy, uh, the little boy. <laughs> uh, I, I'd rather not. Um, Harley Keener's in this, and if you want to see more of him, he is also in Avengers Endgame. Yes. If if that name doesn't strike a chord with you, that means you're also one of those people who did not know who that kid was at Iron Man's funeral. And now you can connect those dots. <laughs> that is Harley Keener. He's the small child from If you were Iron still Man curious this entire time who that one blonde dude was, there you go. Those quips and stuff are all really funny. Shane Black's good at buddy comedy, so I completely get... All of that really great stuff, and and again, I uh, Robert Downey Jr. is increasingly uh, entertaining as just him being him or just him as Tony Stark. Um, did I did I, I miss something it. in the in the scheme of like who's watching this kid? He said his well, there's no mom, or there's a there's a mom. Sorry, his dad left him. Sure, uh, I can't remember where the mom is. But the mom but just I, lets I, him go into the garage and play with all his computer stuff. Right, right, and she and Tony gives him a basically a bomb to shoot up against, uh, uh, not a bomb, but like a like a flare, yeah, to shoot at bullies. I I, I remember the father's situation because he's like, you don't got to be a pussy about it, oh, <laughs> and I was like, did, did Tony Stark just call the child a pussy? Did they just say pussy in the Iron Man movie? <laughs> like, what the fuck is going? Oh, when he said that, I was dying, and then the other thing about like, um. Don't worry, you'll be able to get back home soon. You know how I know? Because we're connected. <laughs> that, that was such a dick lie, like <laughs> such a dick delivery to the dick lie. It really was. That, yeah, I I took my hat off to that. I honestly uh, was like, is this pre Disney? You know what? That was what. No, what? Uh, I'll look that up, but I don't think it is. Uh, Disney's post Avengers one. I want to say. Okay, I believe it. I'm just I I never really know. I'm gonna check right now. Oh, and they bought they bought them in 2009. So right after uh, Iron Man 1. Oh, okay. Yeah. So pre-Disney isn't very long. Yes. Gotcha. Um, with with Extremis kind of seeming like the the um, quintessential Iron Man comic, at least for this age, to get people up and coming, would you say that the movie is the same? Mm, no. <laughs> no? No? I, I think you just need the first one and then you can kind of like the second two the, the next two movies don't really play too much into it other than them bringing back the boy yeah Be- because the end of the third movie kind of has the one moment everyone makes fun of which is just like oh he blows up all the suits next movie oh there's still several of them yes they're all still there 
Um, I was gonna say that I I th- I feel like the first Iron Man movie feels like a a film in like a in like a big boy pants kind of way, right? Okay, like it feels like like a, like a like an actual factual film with with tone and gravitas and all that kind of stuff. And I feel like two and three are episodes in the Iron Man show, the <laughs> Iron Man show that has now been greenlit because of the success of Iron Man one. So now it's a little bit more jokey, and now there's way more um you know side characters, wacky side characters, and oh here's Black Widow, and here's more happy, and you know like we're really trying to add more people around him to get more effect of, of Tony Stark. Like watch him scowl at the camera, gym style and, you know, right, do, right. do kinds of stuff like that. Like how he is with the kid. He rolls his eyes at the kid. He rolls his eyes at Killian. He rolls his eyes at the guy, the tech guy who has a tattoo of him. You know, it's all like well, that how unimpressed awkward. Tony Stark could be about life. Well, that was kind of awkward. Uh, Mexican Scott Bayo, Is that what he says? Oh, Jesus. <laughs> I forgot. He goes, look, I got this tattoo. And, and he goes, who's that supposed to be? Mexican Scott Bale? Oh, wow. <laughs> He's like, no, bro, it's you. Oh, man. I have um, I have the box sets for uh, phase one and two. Mm-hmm. And the phase two one came with that card from the, the oh my God. Asian, I guess, on the back. On the back. Yeah. Uh, it also comes with the the tattoo, the Scott Bayo tattoo. If I wanted to put it on as a as a temporary tattoo, wonderful. <laughs> that was pretty. Which I thought was pretty funny. Um, is this your least favorite Iron Man film? Um, I, I yeah. Like even though, like even though two isn't great, and it, I'd argue it has the worst ending of the three. Yeah. Because it's just like, oh, Whiplash just blows them all up. Great. Not only that, but they're like, why didn't we just do that before? Right. <laughs> they literally say it. It just, be like... it just ends up feeling like a, a colossal waste of time. Right. Uh, I, I still have to hold on. I still hold on to my resentment of the fact that this one just, just like introduces you to a great idea and then completely rips it away from you. Yeah, I saw somebody postulate that how could an Iron Man who's so paranoid that he would build 50 suits in his off time still be quite surprised by the attack on his mansion? Like, that's that's a that's a question. Uh, yeah. <laughs> sure is a question. Uh, you know, so it's like, it's like we some, uh, there's various points in the film that get to where it got to go because it has to go there. But no I guess he's not surprised by the attacks because, like, he seems to be waiting for it. But the, there's no defense on the building, you know. Like <laughs> he, no, he seems that to through. think that one Iron Man suit's gonna get it done. Yeah, he didn't think that through, and it's the end. The Iron Man suit's the prototype. You right. know, it's not even like the real, the real legit one that he's used to working with. So you know, sometimes things happen in this movie just to move the the needle, move the move the old plot around, which I guess I can't blame. Like that's what that's how movies are made. Etc. But I would say, if you did not like Iron Man three, go back, read Extremis. I think that you will get uh, more out of it uh, moving forward. I really, really think that that that's the better thing to do. Um, check out Extremis, and I think we fulfilled our Marvel quota for this week, at least. <laughs> I'm sure there'll Which be is, more. Oh, there will definitely be more. I think up next, uh, we'll be covering History of Violence, which I've never seen. I've never I've, seen the movie History of Violence. I read the comic. I haven't either. Really, really good stuff. It's a graphic novel. Really, really good stuff. Uh, it's basically to set that up for like next week. 
Um, what happens Next when time a on group X-Men. of <laughs> exactly what happens when a group of gangsters come into a small town and seemingly confuse one of its patrons with someone who did them dirty years ago? Dun dun dun. That's unfair. Interesting, right? I'm, I'm, yeah, yeah. And so we see what happens as a result of that. Um, but yeah, this this has been great. I I liked reminiscing about some Iron Man. I liked reading that comic. I did not like uh, having to revisit Iron Man three, but <laughs> the things we do for you, the things we do for love, the things we do for the click, and if you want to do something for us, well, if you want to see the stuff that we did for y'all, we did way more than this. We have over 120 episodes in the can. That's over 240 hours of us talking about all sorts of Cape stuff. And it's all available at the home of the Major Issues Podcast, which is comicbookclick.com. Comicbookclick.com has all the stuff. It's the one stop for everything that we do as part of Comic Book Click, which includes uh, our articles written by myself, GT Rebirth, Dan the Comic Man is working on some stuff as we speak. Um, we have articles up there. We have our merchandise up there. Every single episode of the podcast is there as well. Um, so go there. The, I, what I like the most about the site is that you can listen to an episode of the podcast and then comment on that episode right there in real time. Uh, there's a comment section there, um, and it comes straight to us. We get an email, uh, which is great, and we get to sit and talk to fans about it. Oh, but all the episodes are up there. Yeah, all the episodes are up there. Um, you got a recommendation? GT for an episode. I'll throw out one of my favorites, which is episode number fifty. <laughs> Me and GT talk about Man of Steel. You don't have to know the number, but uh, yeah, throw one out there for the fans. Uh, my favorite episode to this day is still being you uh, talking about Captain America, nineteen ninety. <laughs> oh god, <laughs> such a bad film. Oh, if you want to see the hope, leave GT's eyes. Go to our Supergirl review where we talk about oh, Supergirl from nineteen seventy eight. Uh, yeah, that at least that is... at least Captain America was like enjoyably bad. Right. Oh my god, that woman was ridiculous. But yeah, it's 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 we do the the latest and greatest, but we also go through all of it because there's so much comic book media out there that hasn't been touched by reviewers like us. So we do our due diligence and tackle these uh big pieces of content for you guys. Every single Wednesday, we are able to do the major issues podcast, and it's available on everything podcasts are available on, like Stitcher, Podbean, the Apple Podcasts. Podcast, the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iHeart, TuneFind, uh, YouTube, I think, everything. Just literally type in Major Issues Podcast and we'll be the first ones to pop right up because we're always talking about the latest and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're all over. Uh, so, yeah, Google us there. Again, first stop, comicbookclick.com. You can find everything. But if you already have your own little podcast app, I know how. You don't want to download anymore. So just look up the Major Issues podcast in your podcast app, and we'll be the first ones to pop up. If you want to reach us, you can do so by, again, commenting on any single one of the episodes at uh, comicbookclick.com, using the contact list at comicbookclick.com, or going to facebook.com slash comicbookclick, Instagram at comicbookclick, or using the hashtag comicbookclick to talk about the newest, hottest, latest, and greatest things to come to comic books and comic book media. We're also at Major Issues CBC on the Twitter machine. GT, I believe you have one as well. I do. It is uh, Rebirth GT. Uh, Twitter's a crazy place right now. Yes, it is. We're all having a whole lot of fun. 
We all are. Uh, and you can fact check that. But we are there as part of Twitter. So go ahead and, and get into contact with us. Um, doing these episodes are fun, but talking to you guys about it is what actually makes it worthwhile because I think comic books in general is a very personal pastime. We take these comics in ourselves. We hear the own voices of these characters in our heads. And so expressing how we felt at certain moments when reading, I think, is 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 cool. It's it's. it's a really fun experience and i love doing it as part of the major issues podcast if you really really like us and you really want to support if you've already bought a shirt if you already commented it on something please rate and review us on itunes it's the quickest way for us to grow as podcasters and grow our audience find out what you like and what you don't and if you don't know how to do so we recently put out a video for iphone users as a quick way for you guys to be able to rate and review us in app uh, and and help us become the latest and greatest thing to come to comic books and comic book media. The numbers are going up. Our social media stuff is going up. I'm really liking the interactions we're having across all the the board, and it's it's really, I it it's getting funny. GT, it's getting to a point where like I can't remember time without this. <laughs> like it just feels like 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 the idea that you would have to do something once a week, even if it's something that you love, is can seem laborious. Right. But I've been doing this for so long at this point, unimpeded knock on all the wood that uh it's it's become second nature i breathe i sleep i podcast and we podcast to you guys which is great just like just like the dirty um, millennial trash we are yes just like <laughs> the dirty millennial trash we are always looking for the bygone era um i think I think that might be it though as far as today's episode so my name is George Serrano, a.k.a. The Don. I am Gregory Thomas, a.k.a. GT Rebirth. And remember, whether you're a reformed armed dealer who's trying to change the world, whether you're a playboy, a genius, a billionaire, or a philanthropist, even if your name is really Trevor, or if you think that you are the Mandarin, yeah. remember, we are the clique. Remember, we can't be fact-checked. And remember, you... <laughs> yeah, that, that's not going to age well. No. You... <laughs> You, yes, you are worthy. <laughs>